everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. It has been 16 weeks since we started the walk through the book of Philippians. Only four chapters some of you guess, like, let's just get the kids now. Let's just save our, no, 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 no. It's, it's book of Philippians, just a rich, powerful book. There's so many good things in there that we've just kind of chewed on. And some of the verses that we've uncovered are like, when you, when maybe you have these memorized, or maybe I, I can just start the verse and you can spit it back out. Maybe you don't have it in this translation, but like Philippians 1, 6, I'm certain that God, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, that's just, that's a powerful verse. Or Philippians 1.21, for me, living means living for Christ, but dying is even better. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 3.13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not obtained it all, I've not achieved it all, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Man, that's just to keep your eyes focused. Don't, don't get caught up in your past. Just keep moving forward on your purpose. Philippians 4.13, for I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen, everybody? That's just a few of those. We, we spent 16 weeks just unpacking this book. We've talked about God's not done with me. We've talked about salvation and, and working out of the fruit of your salvation. And we talked about the power of unity. We've talked about how to live a life of impact and, and focusing on what really matters. Just one thing I do, I focus. And Paul, the last couple of weeks, he just keeps talking about the secret of life. The secret of life. I've learned the secret of life and that's being content. This book was written by what we call the Apostle Paul. He was a man that was on a mission to take Jesus to as many places as he could. And he wrote this letter. It's now a book in the New Testament, but he wrote this letter to Christians who were living in the southern Greece city of Philippi. And what's unique about this, this was, we believe, to be Paul's first church that he started, but also it was the first church in Europe. And so maybe you know this, maybe you don't. It seems a little self-explanatory, but you might go to a town, and there would be First Baptist Church of Godibo, Oklahoma, you know, and that's an actual place. And so that means they were actually the first Baptist church, of, or the first Christian church, or whatever it means. We were the first church of this flavor that was here in this town. And so Philippi was the first church that Paul planted, and actually it was the first European church, if you will. And so these, the, the folks of Philippi have just a special place in Paul's heart. And in spite of all that he had been through, in spite of all of his trials and all of his just being shipwrecked and beaten and snake bit. This letter is just, it's just a letter of encouragement. It's full of celebration to how the Christians in Philippi, but also you and I, how we as Christians can have a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. After six weeks, I have said that over and over and over, 16 weeks, that when you think Philippians, I want you to think Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. And Paul now, he's kind of wrapping up this letter and he's saying some thank yous specifically to some people. But where we're gonna be today, he's kind of thinking the, the church in Philippi just as a whole, because from the beginning, they've been partners with him in ministry. From the beginning, they have supported him. And if you filter what we're gonna talk about today, if you filter this letter to the Philippians through the lens of how you and I can have a life of joy, he's given us the secret sauce, and how important it is to win the, mind of how you think and rethink on good things and right in the middle of all this stuff. He's wrapping things up, but he still drops two 
really big principles on how you and I as Christians can have a life of joy. And I want to unpack those today. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I know if you open it, Philippians just kind of falls out. I got that, right? But we're going to, and if you don't have it, don't worry, we're going to put it up on the screen. You're going to start with verse 15. It says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. And they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. And now, I'm, I'm not sure why money, I'm not sure why the, the topic of generosity, but it's just a vulnerable space for people to be offended in church. It, it just kind of feels that way, oh. And, and if you're new today, you're like, oh, we came to church on the money Sunday. It is, it, it's, not, it's not like that. I, and, but I don't know why this is such a sensitive talking. I remember even as a young, no, years ago, I'm still a young pastor, right? But I, I remember years ago, like when I would have to preach on money, my hands would just be up here shaking and <clears throat> my voice would crack a little bit. I was just nervous to preach on the principles of, of generosity. And I'll be honest with you, there were even a few years I cowered out. I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't push through the nervousness. I just, I kind of cave into that fear and I just didn't even, I didn't even talk about the idea of generosity. Yet throughout the Bible, even Paul, right here, right now, and what we're gonna talk about today, he labels this as one of the foundational, one of the fundamental principles that you and I as Christians should have in our life if we're gonna live a life of joy. It should be, this foundational principle is living a life of joy is living a generous life. And there's two really big principles that are tucked into these verses that we read here today and they go hand in hand that I wanna take some time to unpack. If you're with me, say amen. The first principle, if you're taking notes, we put an outline in your uh, handout if you, if you wanna follow along. And on the way out, there's tables. If you're new with us, there's some little three-ring binders. Those are yours. Just take that. When you come back next week, there'll be another outline, and you can kind of keep track. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first principle that I wanna look at is just living generously. Live generously. Paul doesn't want anything from them, and he says that. He doesn't want anything from them. He wants something for them. Let me show you verse 17. He says, listen, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. I'm not trying to raise funds here. I'm not saying this because I want something from you. Rather, I want you to receive. I want something for you. So he's not talking about this principle of generosity as a fundraising tactic. He's bragging on them. He's like, of all the churches that I've been a part of, the church in Philippi, you guys, you, you get it. So I wanna, I wanna beg that you hear through humility as I, as I kind of share this next story. I, I don't in any way wanna say, hey, look at Brent and Jerry. Hey, look, I, I want you to say, look at God and what he did through us. So just please, just hear through that. So years ago, Jerry and I were in a season, we were just in a, in a financial position that we had some dear friends of ours who were adopting. And if you know somebody or maybe you've even adopted, that is a long and very expensive process. And so we were just in a place where we could help just pay a little bit of their adoption expenses, okay? 
And that's it's just an expensive process. And I don't even really recall why we were in that position. We were just, they were going through this and we were just able to help them. And I don't, I wasn't Warren Buffett. Like I didn't pay for the whole thing. It wasn't anything like that. It was just a big amount to us back then. God had blessed us and we were able to pass on that blessing. Well, that young man actually graduates high school this year because they adopted him when he was a baby. They've had him for 18 years. Gary and I were sitting on the back porch this past week just enjoying the beautiful evening. I was kind of thumbing through social media and I saw his picture pop up on Facebook. And I shared that, with, I showed Jerry, and I go, do you remember that time when we were able to help them just pay for all of this? And again, 18 years later, I was just flooded with the joy that God used Jerry and I to be a part of this young man's story. And we didn't do that to lord over them, ha ha, now they owe me, ha ha, I'm gonna, I, I didn't do it with any kind of agenda, I just did it because God had given me an opportunity and I wanted to Bless somebody else. And I would do it all over again today if I could. I've, I've bought a camper. I've sold said camper, right? I've bought cars. I've bought fishing equipment. And many times those big purchases sometimes come with buyer's remorse. But I don't think I've ever experienced a giver's remorse. I mean, there's been times in our life where, you know, we, we gave a lot. We gave till it hurt, <coughs> hurt. You know, Jerry sometimes trying to outgive God because I preach it from the stage, Right? But those seasons serve as a reminder that we can do more through him than we think we can. So in verse 18, he says, at this moment, Paul says, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent through Epaphroditus. And he didn't send cologne. That's not what he's saying. Hey, thanks for that Gucci bottle. That's not what he's saying, right? He's like, these gifts, they're sweet smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. The power of generosity, living open-handed, seizing those moments of opportunity to give, even when we live sacrificially, man, that's just pleasing to God. And the Bible describes it as a sweet fragrance or sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And then he says this in, in verse 19. And he said, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches who've been given to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the, so the first principle of just living this life of joy is living, is live generously. But the second idea that Paul talks about here is trust God's sovereignty. So for just a moment, because I'm using a big church word, I mean, chances are you haven't used sovereignty in your lunch conversation over the last seven days, all right? So just for the sake of using a big theological word that we use to describe God and so on and so forth, just, just for a minute, I want you to pretend, I want you to play like, I'm gonna, we're just gonna pretend that we're now in Bible school. And I wanna treat all of you like you are ministry students, that you're gonna go into ministry. So just humor me for a little bit. That, that I mean, Ephesians 4.1 says that we have all been called, all right? I don't wanna get in the weeds too much, but for just a second, I'm, I'm gonna act like I'm a seminary professor. <laughs> it's kind of a funny joke. But I'm gonna act like I'm a seminary professor and I want you, I'm just gonna treat you like you are all Bible college students getting ready to go be pastors and ministers. Everybody said amen. All right, so uh, number one, thing you need to know going into ministry that there's gonna be a lot of jokes that you only work one day a week. Okay, 
Are y'all even awake? Like, I need right now, I need you to elbow your neighbor, right? Make sure they're awake. Because first service just fell out of their chairs laughing. People were rolling in the floor. They were like, this is the best message I've ever heard. And y'all staring at me like, are we done yet? Okay, so number one, if you're going into ministry, you need to know they're gonna make jokes about you only work one day a week. It's fine, it's fine. Let me tell you how you respond to that. You say, well, I hope your funeral is on the right day then when it happens, amen? Good one. They, they're going to make fun. They're going to they're make jokes about you always taking up an offering, all right? Never turn down a chance to take up a good offering, amen? Right, number, number three, they're, they're going to make jokes about you preach too long. My church doesn't do that, <clears throat> but they're going to make jokes about you preaching too long. And, and so then... You have to ask, well, which is it? You say I only work one day a work, one one day a week, but then when I do work, you gripe that I work too long. So you got to figure all that out. That's very helpful information for all of you Bible school students. All right. Now I, I want to talk about some theology and this idea of sovereignty. That's a word that we use. And yes, it can be a political term that the United States is a sovereign nation, meaning there is no other entity, there's no other nation over us. We are our own authority. But the word sovereign or sovereignty actually means supreme power, ultimate authority. And when you put that in the context of God, if you, if you think about it for, for just a minute, it kind of starts to get swirly. For me, if, if God is the supreme power, if he's the supreme authority, and 19 years ago, Yesterday, my dad died. You have to ask God, then, then why did you let my dad pass away? If God is the su- supreme authority, God, why did you let that tragedy happen? Why did you let her lose her spouse? Why did you allow that abuse to happen? All those, why, why did the divorce have to happen? For some of you even... God, why did we have to bury our child? It can be hard to trust the sovereignty of God if God is in ultimate control and it's under his supervision that you experience devastation and loss. We have to keep in mind the man that wrote Philippians, Paul, it was written at the hands of a man who'd been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left for dead, snake bit, abandoned, and hurt by some of his closest friends. But somewhere Paul learned how to process his pain in life and still see that God is still good. And still Paul learned how to trust his sovereignty. That same Paul would write to Christians in Rome, he would say, we know that God causes everything. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Everything, all things, even the hard things, all things work for our good. Even the tears can water the soil of our pain to produce something good in your life. Even the loss can still do good in us. When you hit this wall of opposition, when you go through crisis or devastation, that journey, it can go one of two ways. You can take Paul's path who'd been beaten, snake bit, left for dead. He's in prison. Somewhere Paul learned how to process his pain and still see the good in God. Or, if we don't 
deal with the pain. We refuse to go through the healing process. Far too many times, that pain will hijack our faith. Maybe that is you, maybe that has been you, maybe that's someone that you know. You experienced an unfair tragedy, you went through trauma, you went through crisis, and it just kind of derailed their faith. And listen, when I say derail their faith, I don't mean cost them their salvation. I'm talking about, I'm just saying they were on this path of growth and, and they were in a good, healthy relationship with God and they go through trauma and they didn't process it right. And so I'm not, I'm not talking about salvation, but it literally can make this life on this earth a living hell. And the key to living a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy is we have to learn to trust the sovereignty of God even in the pain. But again, I'm reluctant to tell another story because I don't, I just want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see me. And I, but I, I think I would miss if I don't share because this was one of my biggest theological life lessons that I learned through this process of this story that I wanna, I wanna share. God really showed me his sovereignty in this. So in 2016, I was deeply involved with a mission organization based out of Mississippi. And many of you remember, you've been around long enough, maybe you went on one of those mission trips that we would go to Central America and we've even hosted regional conferences for them. My parents were team leaders. I followed in their footsteps. I was a team leader. I'd actually come to a place where I was on the board. I was the vice chairman of, of that board. And this organization went through a leadership change. And a couple of fellow board members came to me and they said, hey, we, we, we think you're the guy. And I said, no, man, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Jerry and I just really had just kind of relocated, lived next to my brother out on the family ranch. And I love being on the board. I love serving how I can, but I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy. I went through that three times. And one guy called me and he said, hey, can you just, well, just do this. Just give us our resume to give us something to compare to. I'm gonna give you a little bit of advice. Don't fall for that. Okay, he got me, right? Okay, so I did. I hadn't put together a resume in years. And um, I did. And when I did that, something slightly shifted. I started thinking, man, that might be pretty cool. Because I love all things missions. Over 70 missionaries were part of this organization. Staff was incredible. I had great friends that were missionaries, great friends on the staff, great members that were part of the board. And I mean, it was a $10 million organization, four countries of operation. Man, being the guy to lead that, that wouldn't stink. I'd be all right. And so I kind of started entertaining that. And so it was, it was time for Jerry and I. We went to the board meeting and we were gonna meet with that search team and just kind of talk about this. And while we were there, we, we drove around. We kind of looked at schools, looked at neighborhoods, looked at homes. And boy, something just wasn't right. Like, Jerry and I were both like sick to our stomach when we were there. Just something wasn't right. And I knew in my gut where I was supposed to be. And it, it took them nine months to go through that whole process. And I, I jumped in on it early. So I waited all these months and really had kind of, kind of in my mind closed that door. But one night my phone rang. I remember when they called me. They said, man, we love you. We'd like for you to stay involved, but we just feel like we need to go in a different direction. And I, I felt, when I hung up the phone, I just felt this relief that that whole thing was over. And what I already knew, that I was where I was supposed to be doing what I was supposed to be doing, but I also was disappointed. And honestly, I was a little bit angry. I'm very competitive. I don't like losing. And I felt like I'd lost, right? 
And as I hear all these years later, I look back on that process, God was so good and he used this story, which honestly was a long, grueling nine months, but he used that story to just show me so much about him. And I don't, I don't tell you this story, oh, no. pastor's looking, no, you're, you're not that lucky. <laughs> I've been here 19 years. I'm gonna see if they can bury me out here when I die. You know what I'm saying? Here lies the man that made the biggest mess. Now, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't say that to say, I wasn't looking then, I'm not looking now, but I did learn so much about God and his sovereignty through that process. So let me tell you what happened shortly after they went in a different direction and, and brought the right person in, right? One of our primary countries of operation in the following year had a civil war and they sent, I think, 36, 37 teams into that nation and then they couldn't, because the civil war was going on, they couldn't send I mean, it was more than a third of their funding of how they do ministry. They put people on an airplane and send them down there and the team fees. And so literally a third, I don't wanna say business, but a third of their funding was gone. Drastically improved, I mean, drastically impacted their income and what they were able to do. And then as any organization, missionaries began leaving and leadership continues to transition at every level. Some of the long-term missionaries retired. and A couple of years later, after that, there's this little thing that happened called COVID, like a global pandemic, okay? And when you're an organization that is funded through people getting on an airplane, flying to another country, and now they can't go to another country for not one, but two mission seasons, that's tough. So in 2016, when I was part of that, they had over 70, 70, 70 missionaries. Today, they have less than 10. In 2016, they had 10 people operating in the staff, fully staffed. Today, they have two. They actually had to sell their office building just to kind of maintain basic operations. Jerry and I knew at the time it wasn't where we were supposed to be that weekend that we left there. We were just kind of like, like she was physically. We just, we just knew. And at first when my phone rang, I experienced all of those emotions, some relief, some disappointment. But it didn't take long before I quickly started waking up. And one of my first thoughts when I would wake up is, oh God, thank you. you know, I don't know why you love me so much and I don't know what the other guy did to tick you off, but I'm just glad you love me and I'm glad I ain't there, you know? Big life lesson, big life lesson. I thought I knew what I needed, you know, but God knew better. I was confused, frustrated, felt like I knew God's will. I mean, there was a time where Jerry and I was just, you know, we were learning how to walk without shoes on and I was buying overalls and all that stuff. But, but God knew exactly where I needed to be. So a couple of good things came out of that. What was a lengthy process? Number one, it was a huge life lesson for me that I learned about the sovereignty of God. I talk about all the time about open doors and closed doors. Maybe you apply for a, a job and it might seem like an open door, but it closes. You can trust God with open doors and closed doors. You can trust him with the results. I learned firsthand. I knew that. I would teach that, but I learned it firsthand that as I watched this in place. So number one, that it was just a huge life lesson about the sovereignty of God. He can do a better job at directing my life than I can. Number two, out of that, we were able to get Pastor Will and Miss Kelly because he was a part of that organization and we were able to convince them 
load up the truck and move to Beverly, right? They moved to Oklahoma, and we're better because they're here. Amen, everybody? I mean, even Will has given up wearing overalls. He wears shoes to work now. It's awesome. He's even learned a few English words. He knows that savings ends with a G on the end of it. It's awesome, right? Philippians 4.19. And this same God, I love you, Will. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his riches and glory. You, you just have to at times trust the sovereignty and I know churches use this at offering time. We're tempted to use this as a fundraising verse for kingdom work, right? We love that riches. Whew, that feels good. Say it again. Riches. Whew. You know, like we love it. There's a couple of things that I've down through the years, and my hands aren't shaking today. I'm not because I really came to understand that if you want to live a life of joy, you've got to live a generous life. And one thing is just throughout scripture, and even though it, it may step into vulnerable space in church, there's a couple of things I wanna share with you. What I believe, and I believe they're biblical principles, I believe it'd be easy to defend this, what I believe about biblical principles about generosity in scripture. If you guys are still with me, say amen. We're gonna give up hope of beating the Methodist to Mazios, but we're gonna finish strong, all right? It's week 16, we're on third base, we're headed down the home stretch, all right? So principle number one, I believe God loves his kids. Those of you that are parents, you understand this, you know this. Those of you that aren't parents or this hasn't happened for you yet, you understand this, but the, the holding baby Landon in my hands for the first time, that changed me. I'm not talking about getting up in the middle of the night, changing diapers. And, I mean, it changed how I saw God. It changed my theology, it impacted my view of life more than anything I've ever been through before. Listen, I love people, I love Jerry, but when you hold in your arms something that you help make, you begin to fully understand a father's love. Holy cow, that was big for me. So Landon goes off to school at OSU, or Kaylee, she's a busy kid, she's involved in band or FFA, and, and whenever my kids leave, I, I always ask them, you need any money? Because as their father, I, I feel responsible to supply their needs. But as a father, I also have joy in providing for their needs according to my riches. Now, there are two women that live in my home, so my riches aren't real impressive, right? Their clothes are, but my riches aren't, right? But God loves his kids. I love my kids, but that is nothing compared to how much God loves you and I, God wants to, God finds great joy. Hey, you need anything? God loves his kids and loves to take care of his kids. So a couple things I believe about God and money. Number one, God loves his kids, amen, everybody? And number two, Jesus did not die so I could be rich. He died so I could be saved. He died so I could be forgiven. If Jesus died on the cross and he did nothing else, would that be enough? That's why Paul and other writers in the New Testament constantly push us. Think eternally, think eternally, focus on heaven, think, think, think about eternity, right? Because there is a forever that's coming and that forever makes Friday's problems pretty small in comparison. God loves his kids. He wants to bless his kids as long as it's for their good and for their well-being. 
But Jesus didn't die on the cross so I could be rich. He died so that I could be forgiven. God, God wants to take care of you and he wants to bless you as long as it is a blessing. There are some people that are not prepared for the blessing. I'm gonna give you a couple examples. Some people just aren't ready. It wouldn't be for their good if God dropped a bunch of extra something on you, okay? 70% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt in 10 years. 1% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt in one year. 43% of lottery winners said it didn't, it didn't make them happy, it didn't impact them. <laughs> I'd be willing to try. You know what I'm saying? If I want to be one of your lab rats, you can do some study on me. If you want to drop a couple mil on me, I'm fine. Right? Last week, I talked about Paul saying, I've learned the secret to life, and that's learning how to be content. It won't just happen. It's a discipline. You have to learn how to be content. Now he's going after this idea of trusting God's sovereignty to supply all of our needs. And there's way too many of us are trusting our own bank account more than we trust God to provide our needs. So there are... 247 million Americans that say they're Christians. 247 million. 1.5 million trust God enough to tithe. When we say tithe, we mean give him 10%. 247 million Christians, 1.5 million tithe. Over the past 25 years, faith-based giving has dropped by 50%. If Christians, if Christians in the United States tithe, the church would have an extra, an additional, on top of what they already have, the church would have an extra 139 billion to help hurting people be on mission, reach the lost for Jesus. But because we don't, Government has to step in and do the job of what should belong to the church. I'm like Paul, verse 17. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive. I don't, I don't want something from you. I'm not saying this as a fundraising. I don't, I'm not saying this to stir you, to, to get you to give. What I'm really trying to make is Christians are missing one of the foundational, fundamental pillars living a life of joy by living a generous life. God don't need my money. He has glorious riches. The church don't need my money. I need to give. It's, it's for my good. It keeps me from being a grumpy old Gus. It keeps me from, it, it helps me stay open-handed. It, it helps as a part of our legacy of who you are as a person. 95% of Christians aren't giving because we don't trust the sovereignty of God. Now listen, I, I don't, I never, I never, this is probably why money gets weird and hands get shaky and some guys won't even talk about it. Listen, I don't ever want this to feel condemning or heavy. I want somebody, listen, God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you at all. God still loves you. Matter of fact, if you on your way out the door going to an FFA thing, God will still go, hey, you need any money? What do you need? God still loves you, will still supply for you. But he really wants us to learn to trust him. He really wants you to understand that living a life of joy comes from living a generous life. 
you, you can't, like you can't go from zero, maybe you can't, but most of it, we couldn't go from zero to 10%. You just can't, but you can start somewhere and trust God with the rest. And I think you'll discover what Jerry and I did, that you can do more through Christ than you think you can. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? And then Paul closes the letter. 16 weeks. The final words that the Christians at the church in Philippi would hear from their founding pastor, Paul. I cried in first service, but I'm fine now. I'm good. This is the last thing they would hear Paul say. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. You glad you came to church today? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.